everybody. Welcome to Serious Shit with Pam and Heather. Serious shot if you need the green, clean version of this. Oh, is that microphone O? I thought it was an I. Well, it's what you want it to be. I mean, it's what you see. Oh, okay. Well, welcome to our podcast. We are really excited for our second episode. Um, last week was an amazing first go. We were lucky enough to have an incredibly amazing first guest, Pam Popper, who discussed all kinds of very practical ways to um, be advocates for freedom. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later because our guest today is going to help us understand how to do local advocacy on a different level than we've been doing before. But just and let me interject here, Heather. I mean, Pam Popper predicted two things. First, she said, watch Ohio, because everything that's happening happens first in Ohio, like a, like a test or trial. And then what happened this week? Ohio came up with this inappropriate lottery system to coerce vaccine uptake. And now we're seeing it pop up in like every state. She boom. Predict, yeah, boom. She predicted that. And then we'll... <laughs> We'll really get into this this week about, she said we need to take some approaches with, uh, you know, some creative lawsuits and our guests today are going to talk about this. Uh, it's actually a temporary restraining order against basically every government health agency we have of, of, from American Frontline Doctors. We'll be talking about that with our guest today, Pam Popper right there, leading yeah, the way. She was awesome. The psychic Pam Popper. It's great. So. Pam, did you do any advocacy work this week? This week, I was trying to keep up with, in my inbox, people from our military have been writing me and sharing things from, you know, from our service members to their parents and, and their spouses about, um, you know, the military has made sure they have informed military members that this vaccine is voluntary and on the same note are really doing everything they can to coerce this vaccine, which they cannot mandate under an emergency use authorization. So I've just been responding to military members of, of you know, putting the army, putting people on non-deployable status, which is coercion, removing people from positions, restricting people from taking leave, um, restricting people from going to schools that are required for promotion, from access to different buildings and facilities and amenities on post. I mean, just trying to empower those military people to know their rights and exert their rights. How about you? Well, so it looks like what we're seeing, what you're talking about in the military is it's voluntary, except you can't do all these things or you get to, you get to trade your mask for a vaccine or, or something, whatever it is in whatever setting that we're starting to see that more. So uh, this week I joined an online um, board of health meeting in my community. And I really encourage everyone to go to your local board of health meeting um, it is a eye-opening learning curve, right? Yeah. 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 It's an eye, it is eye-opening and it is, if you need to light a fire under your butt, go to a board of health meeting and, and listen to what goes on there. Um, there were several of us that were lined up virtually to give public testimony. And we wanted to talk about getting these masks off kids 
in schools next year. And it ended up that people were not allowed to talk. They, you couldn't make a comment like, hey, I'm trying to get on. I'd like to make a, 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 a statement there. The comments were turned off. I, I got kicked off the meeting 10 different times and had to re-enter. I couldn't hear other people's comments. And um, I don't know why we don't have in-person meetings for Board of Health, for our town halls, for our representatives and senators. Um, our city council is back in person and I'm really grateful for them for that. But I think we need to start pushing our, um, our legislators and our board of health and all these people that are making these rules for us are hiding behind their computer screens and we need to be in person. So um, do what you can to join your local meetings. If you have to do it online, do it. But I think we also need to start advocating to get back in person. So- Absolutely, um, a lot of shady shots as I will say, going on <laughs> when we're not meeting in person that you can't get away with if you're meeting in person. So um, you can't, you don't know about it. And if you're online, a lot of it's hidden and um, like the right questions are not getting asked. I know they're in the queue because I send them and they're not asking those questions and they're not calling on the people who have the tough questions. And that is all facilitated by being online. Absolutely. Pam, can you lead us into who we're going to speak to today and, and give us an idea of what we're going to learn? Yes, I can. I mean, today we will have two guests from Colorado who are working along with Colorado Stands Up. And that's what we talked about last week with Pam Popper from Make Americans Free Again. We will have Karen Dwyer, who's from Grand Junction. And professionally, she's been in healthcare for over 20 years, um, worked with geriatrics, our military, our veterans. Um, she's just a powerhouse for advocacy, um, both professionally and personally. She has a unique um, experience because she has had multiple um, uh, reconstructive surgeries to her face. So she has a medical exemption to mask wearing and she has faced discrimination and she is very well versed in explaining American Disabilities Act and civil rights. And um, she is also a wellness forum affiliated, affiliate with Pam Popper. And then we'll also have Chenin Clubbine with us from Colorado Springs. And um, I've met Chenin and um, she is just a powerhouse. She's a nurse and she has worked with, you know, anything from the emergency preparedness response corps to the VA and the army as a civilian nurse. So she has the whole medical knowledge, but also uh, the advocacy where she has been really standing up to everything that's been implemented in the last year, now formally with Colorado Stands Up. Um, and today we will be talking about this, this new um, conflict of interest statement from the frontline doctors of pretty much everyone in the NIH has a conflict of interest with the Moderna vaccine. Um, and so people need to know about that. And we'll be talking about this temporary restraining order against all of our health uh, agencies um, in the US against giving this vaccine to children under 16. Today we have with us on our podcast, we have two guests today from Colorado who are freedom fighters. We have Karen Dwyer and Shannon Klubine, and we have introduced them to you already, but we want them to tell you a little bit about themselves. So we'll start with Karen. Karen, tell us about you. Hi, uh, I'm Karen. I live in Grand Junction, Colorado, born and raised in Western Colorado, born in the little town of Delta. 
Um, and I went to, uh, graduated from Fruit of Monument High School in 1996, went to Colorado State University, go Rams, although they're being a little bit naughty these days, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like, all, all, like all the rest, but um, I, uh, I graduated in 2001 with my degree, my bachelor's degree in occupational therapy. Um, and I have been an occupational therapist for going on 20 years now. So I have worked in five states and um, three, three different countries actually um, in, in an OT role of varying styles, which the most important or the most fun one, I guess, is I worked two and a half years in Italy with the um, US Army in the traumatic brain injury unit. So that was a lot of fun. Got to, uh, got to travel around, came back in 2018, ended up being perfect timing, but um, um, health freedom and choice has always been a big, um, a big deal for me because I was, um, I've had, I've been basically on some little level of medical, um, you know, personal medical, you know, dealing with medical systems since I was five years old when I was diagnosed with uh, acute lymphocytic leukemia. So I had a um, actually as wonderful as it can be experienced um, <clears throat> at Children's Hospital in Denver. And that led, you know, I, thankfully I went into remission shortly thereafter, never came out. But um, I, was in a, I was also in a bad car accident when I was 18 years old, which pretty much demolished the right side of my face. I lost my eye um, and I've had 23 surgeries since then. Um, I've almost died three times from infection in that um, reconstruction. So it became, I became my own advocate, both, you know, my training as an occupational therapist helped me to become an advocate for myself and for other people. But there's a lot of, uh, you know, that this, um, this concept of, um, you know, just do what the doctor says to you, because they're always going to recommend the medical route, right? So there's, you know, anytime I've seen over the years where getting a second opinion or not wanting to take a treatment or wanting to do a different treatment or do less of a treatment becomes that you're questioning their authority or whatever the case may be. So um, I have always landed somewhere in the middle between like, you know, the natural world and the, you know, some, some sort of integrative after I fully informed myself. So when this all kicked off last year, um, I had been following Dr. Pam Popper for about 12 years. Um, and uh, so I went to see what she had to say and the, um, about the coronavirus that was starting to pop up. And she, she said exactly what I was feeling as far as like the numbers don't add up, what they're saying is one thing and what's actually happening is likely another. Um, so I ended up emailing her, then I had a conversation with her and decided to jump all in. So I became a student, a member, and then later on an affiliate of Wellness Forum Health. And so here I am today. And then along the way, I joined up with Shannon and Dr. Pam and others to uh, get the Make Americans Free efforts going here and in Colorado. And here we are. <laughs> well, we are definitely going to pull from both your professional and personal experiences because that makes a really well-rounded advocate. And we're so grateful that we have you in Colorado. Shannon, tell us about yourself a little bit. Hi, ladies. Thanks for the opportunity to come here today and talk. Um, 
I am a nurse by trade and I'm a health educator now. I'm also an affiliate of Wellness Forum. And it's interesting because Pam, uh, Pam Popper and I have a long relationship like what Karen was talking about. About eight years or so, my father was diagnosed with cancer in 2011. And that's when the, the documentary came out, Forks Over Knives, and Pam happened to be in there. And I remembered her name and I remembered what she stood for and uh, she talked a lot about informed medical decision making. I was like, wow, this is kind of a new concept to me. I was in nursing school at the time. And um, so I called her and I said, you know, what can we do for my dad who's a recently diagnosed cancer patient? And she said, you know, I'd, I'd really like to help him and take him on. Um, my, my father didn't end up going that route for his cancer treatments and everything, but the advice that she gave um, ended up being very sound, very good quality advice. And uh, my father had a prognosis of six to eight months to live and he ended up living two and a half years. So that tells you that doctors don't know everything, but that is really what put me on this path of having to be what Karen was talking about, being your own advocate and kind of um, understanding healthcare in a different way and treating it kind of like a product. Um, and then my professional career changed a lot. I went into nursing school because I wanted to help people. Um, I still believe this to this day that nurses will play a pivotal role in solving the American healthcare crisis. And so I think it's a great time to start talking about that and what does that look like and how do we solve it. But professionally, um, I worked for the, the VA for a while in Wyoming, and that was an amazing opportunity to work for veterans. And then um, because of that job, I was um, offered a job to work down here in Colorado Springs for the Army. And I started working uh, for them, and I had the opportunity to work for aviation clinic, and then later on, uh, special forces and special forces and their families. So that was an amazing opportunity to, to do that. Um, but I found out that perhaps I could be maybe looking for a different way to help more people. And I was always searching for where is the grass greener, where is the grass greener sort of kind of feeling. And I ended up going, I just had a moment um, before coronavirus where there was, I was involved in um, some obvious corruption going on. And I decided I really need to walk away from this. And I had tried to do some other things. And it seems to be that there's a, a pattern of behavior that when anyone in the healthcare field goes up against the grain, so to speak, then a whole host of things happen. And that's what was happening to me. Um, I got moved a couple times. I got threatened a couple times. Um, it just, uh, things happen. So I got to the point where I need to resign. And so I did, and I left in yeah. good standing. And I decided to strike out on my own and I decided to become an independent nurse. So I'm still a nurse. I'm still a registered nurse. And I'm just an independent nurse working uh, for myself, which is wonderful. And so now I, I get to help people, um, individuals, families. It's pretty wonderful to be able to do, do healthcare on this side, because I think a few years ago, if Pam Popper had not found me and not asked me to do this, and I was already a student and taking classes from her, if she had not done that, if she had not existed, I, don't, I think um, what I was gonna do next, and I'm, I'm totally okay with this, I was going to go wash windows and I was going to go be a maid and I was and then <laughs> because because I was I was so disillusioned with the healthcare field unfortunately that I decided well you know anything is better than this and my personal life was 
my father died from cancer. My aunt died from cancer. My mother has heart disease and diabetes. My sister then got diabetes. My professional life was um, going to funerals every other week or so it felt, and it was just not doing so well. So we really need to change healthcare. Um, and that all happened prior to coronavirus. And I'll tell you this, Pam, and this is, this is the, the God honest truth. One day you and I will have to talk about um, what happened in the military because I, I so appreciate the articles that you have done with um, Children's Health Defense. I really appreciate that. Um, but um, there was, um, let's see, a situation where the corruption was pretty obvious. And my nurse manager told me that, Shannon, I need you to do as you are told. And I looked her square in the eye and I said, that's the same defense they tried using during Nuremberg. And I said, the people at the top got death by firing squad, but the second and, and you know, two tiered, third, third tier people, they got death by hanging. So I told my nurse manager that I think that Nuremberg trials will be coming to the healthcare field. And this is all gonna go away because I could just see what was mounting a little bit. I couldn't see coronavirus coming. But that's what I was experiencing. And I left the healthcare field June of 2019, right before all of this happened. Wow. It was like you were just, it was like a divine setup for you were going to be pushed into this advocacy role that I am so grateful that you have taken upon yourself in Colorado Springs. I've seen you at events, educating people. Um, so many things you mentioned. First of all, thank you for both of you for serving our veterans. I say that as an Army veteran, um, every chance you get to influence one of our, our veterans and to tell them another option for holistic health is a win. Um, you mentioned forks over knives, and that'll be a topic for another day, possibly. I know my father-in-law um, just by cutting out sugar and uh, animal proteins was able to put a stage four blood cancer in remission for six years and go travel the world. So that if depending on comments, if there's interest, maybe in another podcast, we really break that down and we'll, we'll have you back. But really today, I'm hoping the two of you will talk about this um, temporary restraining order that I think I just saw yesterday from American frontline doctors against Let's see, the NIH, the Department of Health and Human Services, the CDC, the FTA, I don't, there might be a few others, basically every health agency in the United States, um, stating uh, that we need to halt this recommendation for vaccinating children under 16 for the coronavirus vaccine. And there's two really interesting things to me, but I'll let you guys tell me what you think is interesting and strategic and valuable in this. One, that an emergency use authorization requires that the intervention address a serious life-threatening condition. And I think we can make a good case that children, the coronavirus is not a serious life-threatening condition for children under 16. We have great data on that. And then also there's an accompanying document really detailing all the conflicts of interest that every committee member at NIH has with the Moderna vaccine. They're all conflicted. They're all financially entangled with the success of the Moderna vaccine. So I'll let you too, Karen Shannon. What what do you what do we need to know about this temporary restraining order? <laughs> well, I um, 
you know, the, the, the first thing that I think is important for people to remember is that EUAs are only, the emergency use authorizations are only, uh, historically at least, and this is another way where we say, this is how it was always done before COVID, um, you know, but now they're doing whatever they want, um, and which is the reason for the lawsuits. But before, if there was a, if there was a viable treatment, then you could not approve an, a, a, an unapproved vaccine or, or therapeutic, as the case may be, for, um, or something like that, for, uh, you know, during a pandemic for emergency use. So um, that is possibly one reason why they were really, you know, back last year, they were really trying to squash other things that were, I think most of us could see were really working well with the, um, you know, the HCQ, the ivermectin, different, even, you know, possibly different supplement use. Um, Zeke. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's like there, there was, there was plenty of other options. And I mean, I, re I remember that doctor in Texas talking about the, um, uh, how he gave like the asthma medication or the, with the steroid in it. Um, I forget what it's called, but people were, it's like, oh, well think about this, you know, um, a, a, a respiratory, you know, inhalant for a respiratory disease <laughs> to help strengthen your lungs. This is amazing. Right. So, um, and he was, he was shocked when they were just like, not hearing it, not doing it. We're going to, you know, and there was some pretty blatant stuff going on. So we kind of knew a long time ago that that's what their plan was, is, you know, their, their, their intent from the start has likely been to unroll this, this um, vaccine as quickly as possible, which isn't what ended up happening. Um, and a lot of people didn't believe that that could happen. So I think that that's the first thing. And then you know, I remember Dr. Simone Gold, who the America's frontline doctors and, you know, Tom Renz works for both, the attorney works for both um, AFLDS and, um, you know, Make Americans Free Again and Ohio Stands Up and all the others. So he's like the, the, the superhero attorney and all this. <laughs> and so um, they, but she said a long time ago that we can't, we can't recommend a treatment for which the um, you know, the, the, the side effects of the treatment are worse than, and the, and the, you know, all the other rates are worse than the, um, potential side effects or harm caused by the disease itself. And, you know, she, she kind of, from what I remember her saying is she kind of said, you know, uh, it's statistically 100% survivable, um, with statistical significance, uh, for children under the age of, you know, 19 or 16 or something like that. So, um, you know, we can't in good faith recommend a vaccine or a treatment that has a 95% effective rate and there's potential, but it's not fully studied, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so we saw that, you know, and I, I think we've seen where we, we can't, we, we're like, oh, they're never going to mask the elementary school kids. They're never going to mask the, you know, the preschool. And then they just keep going. Right. And it's like pretty soon you'll have fetuses being born, you know, babies being born with masks on, you know, it's ridiculous, you know, so we kept letting, you know, things slide and we, you know, we, we didn't do enough, you know, at the different stages of the game. And so, and we always thought, well, they're not, you know, things are going to come out about ivermectin or these other treatments or whatever the case may be. And, um, and they did, but they still approved them anyways. And um, so that's, I think that's speaking to that first point. Um, I think they strategically made it specifically for children um, as the population to be considered and to be protected because um, this, is a, this is a real danger. Whereas the 
um, you know, or an unknown danger, really. We, we don't really know how this, uh, this um, shot will affect children because it's not been well studied. Um, and so I think that's, uh, you know, that, that's a big consideration. And the argument is there that this is totally unnecessary. You wouldn't give chemo to a kid to keep them from getting cancer. You just wouldn't do it or anybody. You really, we shouldn't. So, um, you know, why are, you know, especially when they they have such low mortality risk. So that's right. And I, I don't want to nerd out here because this is something that people don't understand, but you mentioned the comparing a, you know, hundred percent survival rate with, you know, natural immunity versus a 95%, um, you know, efficacy rate with these vaccines, but even that has been skewed. That is a misrepresentation. That is a relative risk figure. That is, that is a, you know, sneak oil salesman. When we look at, you know, um, absolute risk, we're looking at 0.7% to 1.1%. And, and I know that doesn't make sense to maybe someone new to this issue, but I would if you really believe that this vaccine has a 95% efficacy, that's relative risk, you really need to look up absolute risk reduction of up to 1.1%. And that might change your cost benefit analysis for your child. If you think that a 1.1% risk reduction is worth taking a risk with unknown long-term side effects for a disease that has a 99.9% survival rate. And yeah. Shannon, what do you think? What would you add to that? Yeah, yeah. So this this is why I love what I'm doing. This is why I love that we're here right now. We're having this conversation. Like, how cool is this? And it just so happened that we got the word last night. I was on my way to a Thursday night group and I got the ding on my phone and I looked at it real quick and it was like, holy cow. I didn't know that this was coming, actually. It's another landmark lawsuit. And this is what Make Americans Free Again in Colorado stands up is about. We are services delivered. We wanted a season of lawsuits. We wanted to hold these people, these these unelected bureaucrats to their feet to the fire. And we wanted to make them accountable for this. And they're going to, their biggest tool in their toolbox is the science, right? The science around this. And you, you both, Karen and Pam, you hit the, hit it um, right on the nail there when you said, yeah, the chances of a child dying from COVID is zero percent, zero percent. So it doesn't even make sense to any parent looking at this objectively. If you spent 15 minutes looking at the science, you would be like, oh, um, wow, you know, zero percent chance of my child dying. Well, th- what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that this vaccine this product that has all these conflicts of interest that you mentioned from the NIH and the CBC, who's benefiting from all of that, that it benefits the manufacturers, not your child. So this is clearly not about public health, this whole situation here. And you brought up Pam in the beginning of this, you set it up very nicely that something that we, Karen and I have been talking about for years is the conflicts of interest that have been going on where certain doctors, uh, certain members of certain organizations have all these conflicts of interest. They own patents on medications, they own patents on drug testing, they own patents on the the vaccine. Some Some of them even own patents 
on the, the problem and then they own patents on the solution. So they're making double money here going on. And so this is what the medical tyranny has brought us this where we are today, and this is what we're here to stop. So if you agree with that, that this should probably not be going on and you want the safety of your child, then maybe we should consider um, thinking about uh, taking effective steps on how to prevent this from going on in the future, because you're right, you're right, Karen, this is where this is all, where is this all led kind of conversation? Yeah, and is it, are we, you know, and your, your question about, or your comment about the, the babies being born is like, what are, where are we gonna, where are we going with this? Where does it all end? And I think it ends with um, citizens, with human beings, Coloradans saying, no, we're not gonna take this anymore. Well, and everybody draws a line, you know, we all have a line in the sand or we all need to be drawing a line in the sand. And mine was about March, you know, 11th last year when they when they called it a pandemic because the first thing I did was look up the definition of a pandemic and you know one time they 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 defined it as massive amount you know like several epidemics going on worldwide with massive illnesses and deaths and I think there was like 3,000 deaths worldwide at the time they called a pandemic and it was in there was like four you know there was we had China Italy um Iran and, and South Korea or something like that, you know? So it was, it's just like, I kept doing the math. My phone wouldn't even do the math, you know, sometimes like it was like a number so small, you know, and I had lived in Italy. So I knew the population, I knew the area. Um, and, and so I just couldn't, none of it ever made sense. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think that's really important that and, and, you know, when I, when I cite the 95% effective, I think we all know that a lot of what's out there is either underrepresented of the truth, skewed in some direction or another. I mean, we all know how they've, anything that's walked through a hospital or an urgent care in the last 15 months has been labeled COVID, or if they've already died, they just assume it's COVID or whatever the case may be. I mean, they're doing that out in the open. So for reimbursement, like to- money. <laughs> yeah. But what we like to do is look at that, even those numbers, even, and we can say, even with those numbers and what they're saying and what they're recording, you know, what the CDC or the FDA or whatever says, it still doesn't make sense, you know? So they're just saying, oh, trust us. Here's this, you know, here's this drug or here's this vaccine. And, and um, you know, we, you know, I, I'm, and even look using their own numbers, I give an hour long presentation um, for wellness forum health that's you know all about COVID and the stats and stuff like that and she we use pretty much all information from the CDC or other websites you know and so even with their you know because then they'll say like oh well only six percent were COVID only so you can take the number and this is getting a little bit off track but you can take the number for so like Hawaii is very tightly locked down um, and they're having a lot of uh, a really like police state issues going on there and um and so, you know, they've had 485 deaths or something like that since the, uh, the coronavirus began that were attributed to that. So if you take the 6% rule, which I think now actually went down to 5%, but that's 29 people that died from COVID only. So, you and know, I just want to belabor this. I want to make sure all, I'm glad you brought this up because I want people to understand if you're living in fear of COVID that the CDC, you can go to their website came out a month ago and then updated it like two weeks ago from 6% to 5%. So all of these 
you know, bodies in the streets, everyone's dying, numbers, these big numbers you see in the media, they reduced down to 5% of those were died of COVID. The other 95% of those big numbers that are scaring you were with COVID, highly incentivized, three times as much reimbursement through all the, you know, uh, aid in health insurance. So take whatever big scary number is out there and only 5%, and that's what Karen is doing with Hawaii right now. Only 5% of those were actually died of COVID. And then in those numbers, we know who they are. They're either elderly or they're obese, or they have multiple, an average of six, seven health comorbid conditions. Okay, keep going. On average, the other 95% have 3.8 other comorbidities. That's on average. So you, yeah. And I think that like, I heard something and I don't have a verification of this, but I heard something that's like two thirds of the, um, like the deaths that happened were either palliative end of life care people or nursing home residents. So can I point something out uh, that I, I think this is like the first year that the general population has really thought a lot about death and the numbers of deaths, because unless you're in the healthcare field or you're in some other type of, you know, field where you're thinking about death every day, you're not thinking about death every day, but we have been thinking about death every day for a year. And the CDC every year puts out the total number of you know, death statistics, and it takes them a couple years to get the full counts in. So I have the data from 2017, and I just think this is important to understand that every year in the United States, almost 3 million people die. So in 2017, the total number of deaths was 2,813,503 in the United States alone. And of that, 647,457 uh, were from heart disease. Cancer killed 599,000 people and unintentional accidents were 169,000. It goes on to talk about more, but it's important to understand that almost 3 million people die every year in the United States, always, all the time. And I think that this year has just drilled this one thing in. And yes, it sounds like a lot of numbers to people, but if you don't compare it to how we actual other years of death, then it's easy to become more frightened. And the fear that we are seeing is creating a bigger problem for a lot of people than anything else going on, right? So, so we, I hear you saying, Heather, that we have a fear epidemic or a fear campaign. We have campus. an epidemic of fear. Yes, I think so. All right, Shannon, did you want to jump in there with something on that? Oh, I just wholeheartedly agree with you, Heather. When I did my own research here, I can verify your claims that you were just saying in 2017, which is the last numbers that we had from the CDC's own website, we can use their own numbers against them. You're spot on. We had 7,000 deaths from cancer, another 7,000 deaths from heart disease. But when we looked at the whole year of COVID, and this is with bloated numbers because how they were counting the deaths, how they were counting the cases were, were nothing like what we've ever seen before. And anyone who is assumed or presumed to have died, died, oh, ironically, from COVID. And we have had accounts of gunshot wounds being died uh, and being counted as COVID deaths. That's happening here in Colorado. We put it in our lawsuit. So you're spot on when we said we had 7,000 deaths from heart disease, 7,000 deaths from, uh, co uh, from uh, um, cancer. But when we looked at the 
coronavirus, COVID-19 deaths, it was 3,000 deaths. Are we declaring an emergency for heart disease and an emergency for cancer? No. So this is why we ask really good questions and why when we look at all the science and we're looking at it and the data, not the models, the data, we can say with confidence, there is no emergency. Well, and that's a great transition because that's the whole focus of Make Americans Free Again primary lawsuit is all of this ends when we uh, disrupt this declaration of an emergency. So uh, Karen and Shannon, tell us how does a person get involved with ending this alleged emergency? How do they get involved with your local groups? How do they get involved in a meeting group of like-minded people or with Colorado Stands Up? Like where, where do they start? Great question. So yeah, so the best thing that anyone can do is, um, Karen said it earlier, this is kind of the line in the sand, people. I don't even want to go past the line in the sand. We are the ones drawing. We citizens of Colorado are drawing the line in the sand and we're saying no more. Enough is enough. So it's time. It's time to roll up our sleeves and it's time to get in there. So start thinking about what you can do today. Step one, join Colorado Stands Up. Go to coloradostandsup.com. Give us a little bit of your info so we know who you are. Um, the database is very important to us. I know that's a scary word. People are really afraid of the data and the data collecting right now. Um, I'm the only one who sees this besides Pam Popper. So that's it's a secure database. So if anyone has any qualms about that and they're worried about it, okay, fine. I'm not going to fight you on that. Find another way to serve. I got an email this week from a beautiful man who just moved to Castle Rock. He has two children, one is disabled. He's got a third child on the way. And the third child has just been diagnosed with clubfoot and has some um, issues that, you know, we're going to be expected to handle when the child is born. And then the fourth thing this man told me in his email, he said he had to leave his job last year um, because he was working with juveniles and he saw them wearing the mask and he just didn't agree with it. And so he had to walk away from his job. So he told me something that I think should be told to everyone that he goes, honestly, I can't contribute any money to this right now, but you know what I can? I can contribute time. And so I said, that's wonderful. So he's going to start a Thursday night group. We're going to give him training. We're going to talk with people one-on-one. -on -one. We're going to tell them, um, you know, pick a day, a time that works for you. We're calling them Thursday night groups. That may work for you. That may not work for you. We're not trying to make this hard. You don't need to go to a fancy place. You don't need a church. You don't need a coffee shop. You can do this in your apartment. You can do this in your home. Uh, we have people meeting in parking lots. They've emailed me and said, we had our first meeting. It was in a parking lot because we didn't know where to go wonderful that's what you start somewhere start planning on rolling up your sleeves maybe what you can do is you can grab five more people we have a it's may it's still may right we're having a five for five campaign going on which is go get five more people and donate five dollars if you can just donate five dollars are you going to miss five dollars probably not so come on in join us the water is warm the grass is greener on this side of healthcare, but it's time that we all do this together. And what I've been telling people is that if Coloradans want this, everyone wants a lawsuit and everyone wants a lawsuit yesterday. And I said, great, wonderful, but you gotta help me build the groundwork here because, and we're building and we're growing, but if Coloradans don't want this, uh, we've, uh, um, th then they will tell us in another way. But if you do want this, come on board, 
Join Colorado Stands Up. We're here to add to the economy. We're here to add to your livelihood. We're here to add and not extract. And we're actually making a difference. And you can go and see this beautiful lawsuit that we just went plop, there it is, restraining order, gotcha sort of lawsuit because we are heavy hitters and that's what we're about. We want to make an effective difference in people's lives and you can be a part of that. Shannon, can you talk a little bit more specifically about that lawsuit? Can you explain how that worked? I can in two seconds if you let me grab the baby. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll do some filler here while uh, she's grabbing the baby. Um, so, and we talked about this last week. So we could all do individual lawsuits and we could all run out of money. And I think the beauty of what Pam Popper is leading with Make Americans Free Again and these state groups like Colorado stands up and there are other state groups is we are, we are being strategic and we are organizing and uniting so that we're funding one really well-written restraining order versus, you know, um, you know, a hundred not so um, strategic restraining orders. So we're pooling really great minds, we're pooling money, we're pooling strategy, um, so we can be effective. Is that, is that fair to say, Shannon? Well, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. These, these lawsuits are no joke and you're absolutely right, Pam, that there have been thousands and thousands of lawsuits filed. I think Pam last week said something like 5,000 lawsuits and you can go and you can look them up. You can go to Ballotopedia. They actually created a separate website for uh, lawsuits that were filed on COVID actually. So anyone can look up these lawsuits and see that we're kind of like hitting our head up against the wall multiple times and we really need to stop doing that because um, the majority of lawsuits that have been filed now are, are about the constitution and solely about the constitution. Now, I'm all for the constitution and the constitution, um, our rights have been violated, our first amendment and our fourth amendment, our ninth amendment and so on, these rights have been violated. But what we need to do is write one really effective lawsuit. And what we're really about is creating the most good for the greatest amount of people. And we're really, really good at hitting multiple birds with one stone. Pam said this once, and, I, and I'm gonna expand on it. Pam says like, we're David against Goliath. And when she said that, I said, you, you know you're more like David against multiple Goliaths? Because the CDC is a Goliath, the NIH is a Goliath, the big pharma is its own Goliath, they're, they're their own beast. And you're kind of up against all of them. <laughs> so it's so, so what I mean by that is that when we talk about these lawsuits, and we're pulling our resources together because there's only so much money in the pot and these are expensive things that we really need to think very critically, very carefully and submit lawsuits that are going to have an effective change and a meaningful difference in people's lives. Thank you, you said that much better than I did. And Karen, did you wanna to add to that? Yeah, I was just gonna add, I didn't, um... I didn't know the baby was going to get, <laughs> I was just going to fill in, but um, the, the lawsuit specifically that we're looking that we're doing all the connecting and growing our numbers in Colorado for um, is, is specifically is similar to what they did in Ohio and New Mexico and Maine, which is going to be a lawsuit that very specifically challenges the emergency orders that are unending, unlawful, and they're not being reined in at all. So, you know, we all know that governor, 
or emperor or whatever, <laughs> oops, um, <laughs> Polis has been doing since March of 2020 is just extending. We extend a mass mandate. We extend, you know, and it's all in the, in, and these other lawsuits fail because we, they just say, oh, well, there's an emergency. So we're going to cut to the, to the base of the, we're going to cut the snake. The heart of the beast. The heart of the beast, right? You know? Break, break and, the and toy. Break the toy. Yes. Mm -hmm. And challenge the emergency orders. And, um, and so a, a lot of that other stuff goes away. And I think it goes back to that previous conversation too, about the emergency use authorization, because if there's no state of emergency, there's no emergency use authorization. So that Boom, is really, right there. Mm -hmm. Huge. <laughs> So right, you get rid of emergency use authorization. You can't mandate this vaccine, right? You and then you have to start looking at other therapeutics. Right. right, right, Pam. You figured it out. That's right. So that's right. And so when we were talking to people about this almost a year ago, CHCA got this. Phil and Pam and, and Julie, you guys got this when we were talking about it. And I was so happy and so proud of the team and the work that you're doing. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to say it's been it's been almost a year that I have been working on educating the public that if we don't stop the emergency orders, and I know we're all distracted with um, you know very important causes right now and i'm not going to go into that in, in much detail but if you want to break the toy break the emergency orders i think i think everybody's ready to break some toys i mean i feel that do you feel that out there like there's nice weather and we just want to go break some toys yep that's exactly <laughs> heather it. what about you you want to go break some stuff i'll break some stuff <laughs> <laughs> even so the world followers. <laughs> so i want to be really clear because you said said this because I want people to understand that if they go to uh, coloradostandsup.com, right? Yes. They can sign up and they can get actual training from you guys on how to start something in their area. So they don't have to reinvent the wheel. All they have to go to the what do is go to the website and get some training and start something in their area. And you guys walk them through the process, right? So they, they don't need to be intimidated. Like, I don't know how to do this. These people have been doing this a long time. I can't do it. You tell these people how to do it in their area. Is that right? I just wanna be clear on that. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And um, Pam has actually gone an extra mile for us and she's making my life a lot easier. And she's actually hired two new organizers and so they will be our group leaders and they will be they're in training right now so we're going to have a train the trainers kind of sessions coming so um, I've been fielding much of when new people come on board and they say hey I want to start a group and I don't know how we've been doing some initial calls and initial training and kind of going with that route but um, we want this to go big I mean we're in 16 states make Americans free again is in 16 states and there is about 45 states that have been affected by these emergency orders so it's go big or go home and so if you think you can uh, contribute you want to be a group leader and all it takes to be a group leader is to lead one other person then and yes, come to coloradostandsup.com and we'll reach out to you. Let us know you want to be a group leader. Um, you can reach out to me at informed, or sorry, info at coloradostandsup.com. And I'm very pretty easy to get a hold of, actually. Great. And then also, if people are like, you know, I really can't do another thing and I don't want to be in a group and I don't want to start a group, but they can still go to coloradostandsup.com and donate money, right? Absolutely. 
Okay. So tell their, tell their friends too. Okay. You know, you know, to go to the website for more information. And, you know, the, the cool thing is, I mean, about our state is that we are a big state that's very, you know, we're spread out. Like Shen and I were just talking the other day, we're, you know, four times the size, uh, you know, geographical size of Ohio, which is where this all started, which is where our models all come from. And we have half the people <laughs> and most people live in, you know, like what, six counties. So, um, so the, the, the benefit for us is, you know, there, there, there's some challenges that have come along with that, but there's also um, the benefit of, I'm in Western Colorado and I'm assuming um, it's a pretty different scene over here from what you guys got going on over there um, because we are in the majority of the face-friendly, um, we are open 100%, everything like that. And so um, we had the free to choose pass about a month ago which is, which I refer to as what I've been doing since the very beginning of life.com. But um, (laughs) it's uh, now it's like, oh, you can choose. And, you know, so you're starting to see a lot more variety. People are coming out. I went to a crowded um, um, place in Fruta that was, they just opened this big new beer garden and they had music playing and there was dogs and kids and families. And we were all just hugging and, you know, it was, it was wonderful because, um, you know, but it, but it is on the other hand, it is ours to lose because, um, you know, so, so we're doing things a little bit differently because there's still this, they still kind of target this part of the, of the state because they want to, um, they want what they feel is, you know, complete takeover. And, um, because we're a little bit different out here and we run a little bit different and the way we vote and the way we think and we're rural and all that kind of thing, um, which is which is a bit better part of the state geographically. But um, it, it's- it's. Well, can you uh, really think about uh, businesses? Can you touch on businesses, like how Colorado Stands Up briefly um, supports these businesses that are freedom-minded and rewards them with you know customers? Yeah. Yeah, so let me just finish on the what I was saying because this is where they uh, Mesa County is where they started the um, five star variance program, which as you know, and and it's still going. And so what they did when they when they saw that everybody else was going to just open up, and I think forty four counties out of the sixty four, and maybe even more now have adopted something similar to what Mesa County has, but they were like they they just they said oh well you know in order to keep this five star variance going, you know, you have to still abide by these rules. So what we're doing here in Western Colorado, which may be a little bit different than what they're doing on the other side of the state, and I'll let Shannon speak to that in just a minute, is that we are going into the businesses. There's very few that, you know, that did it right from the start. So we needed those businesses. They never shut down. They never masked their employees. They never kicked anybody out for making a medical choice. Um, we have we have worked extensively with those businesses, either meeting at their places, et cetera, um, you know, sending people to them. The next step is to see when when April 16th happened and they said, okay, everybody can just be free again, pretty much, um, you know, free to choose. Uh, we, we went around and looked at who immediately took the masks off their employees um, and, and, you know, uh, saw the opportunity. So my people that come to my meeting, we go out, we go into the community, we see these places that are now struggling because they're, they're trying to be 100%, but, uh, you know, they're still, they're struggling from the last 14, 15 months, and we're just offering them the opportunity to come to our meetings, um, you know, do an event at their location if they want to, show them how to do their own event, how to, 
that kind of thing. And then anyone who's still in a different place where you see the employees messed up, you see the signs on the door. Um, I, just two weeks ago, I got refused service by a doctor who swore he could just do whatever he wanted now. Um, which that will be the <laughs> that will be my own <laughs> my own little second lawsuit, but that's another story. Um, so it's you know in in general, um, not met necessarily medical services, but we're just leaving those people alone. If they want to go do something different, that's fine. We're going to give support to the people who are like, I'm dying here. I'm done. First okay. of all, my business is going to close if I don't if I don't you know start you know. I don't want to say pandering, but they've been pandering to that other other part of the of the population that's saying, you know, you're trying to kill me if you're not wearing a mask when the business opens or whatever. So, um, so that's what we're doing. We're just kind. Of, we're not being. We're we're not trying to be a hostile energy to anybody. We're just leaving the people alone who are doing it differently and not supporting them. You know, I had a friend who has a daughter with autism who she made a crocheted mask just so she would be able to breathe. And um, they went into a bookstore and the lady told the daughter, you have too many holes in your mask, you have to leave. That's not a business we're gonna support anymore. I am not going to, you know, I, you know that's, that's just, and that was after the free to choose thing. So that's what we're doing over here. And because we're so diverse, I know that they're doing something completely different over there. So I'll let Shannon, Shannon speak to that. Yeah, Shannon, tell us what's going on in the Springs. Yeah, so small business rescue. This this is a brilliant plan. I wish I thought of it, but I'm hardly the smartest person in a room, even when I'm alone by myself. So small business rescues are amazing. So think about it. We are trying to accomplish hitting more uh, birds with one stone. So when we do a small business rescue, not only is a, a group, and it could be Colorado Springs, it could be Boulder, it could be Denver, it could be Fruita, it could be Pagosa Springs, it could be a group of people that get together and they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the most good for the most amount of people in the shortest amount of time. We're going to do a fundraiser, uh, like a donation, and go to someplace fun, so like go-karting, and we're going to charge $20 more, and we're going to raise money for the lawsuit, Everyone's going to have a great time. We're going to save that business, uh, raise money for the lawsuit, get people together out of the house and getting together. Because as far as I know, we still can't go to like Mile High Stadium and we still can't go to Coors Field and live normally, right? So why not go and spend a little money doing some good uh, and the most amount of good and having a great time doing it? So that's what a small business rescue plan is about. It's about putting the money back into the economy, raising everyone's spirits, raising morality, raising the economy, and then finally actually doing some good with this hitting, hitting with these heavy hitting um, landmark lawsuits, which is pretty amazing. So I think it's a wonderful plan. Like I said, I wish it was my idea, but it's not. Well, I mean, sign me up already. I want to go break some government toys. I want to go do fun things with people and I want to spend some money. I mean, all of this is a win, win, win. Who does not want to do all of this like right now? Like let's, right. I mean, right. It, and we have, we have members 
from all over. And Karen said this, we have a rural population, we have city population, we have suburbs, it doesn't matter. We're all Coloradans. And I have met exactly, exactly zero people here in Colorado. I've met a lot of people who have not been affected by COVID. I'm sure there's a few out there here in Colorado, but for the majority, we have all been affected by this, whether it be financially, um, our businesses, our children in schools, um, it doesn't seem to matter. We have all been affected by this. So again, it's time to stand up. It's time to stand up. I mean, wow, what a way to wrap that up. You guys, you got me fired up over here. I got to like tone it down or they're going to, they're going <laughs> to lower my volume, but um, you guys are so great today. I mean, just listening to this, I just want to go fight tyranny um, after I mow my lawn. Uh, but what, what, <laughs> parting words, like you're like, what do you want people to know in Colorado about your, your organization or just, just whatever? Yeah. Parting um, words is get ready to stand up, start standing, roll up your sleeves and come on over to Colorado stands up. You can be a part of any other group. It's perfectly fine. Uh, but Join us because we have an effective strategy. If you still have questions after this interview, go ahead and email me, info at coloradostandsup.com. Be happy to talk. Right. I want in on that Castle Rock group you were mentioning on Thursday nights. I'm going to go crash that party and see what's going on. What about you, Karen? What do you have for us? Yeah, I'll just add to that. Like it's, you know, we could have all been here a lot faster if, we, if our lines in the sand would have all been at the same time um last year that a lot of ours was probably but it's not too late you know the and and for some people the line in the sand was critical race theory or sex education in fourth grade classes or whatever the case may be people are finally seeing the light that these people in government and unelected bureaucrats are um are not really having our best interests in mind and they're not going to stop unless we stop them so we can we can stand up we can we can draw our line in the sand we can stand up and we can stop. We need to stop. Like it's stop wearing the mask. Stop. Just stop. If enough people stop, then it goes a lot faster for us. So and, and really, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and Grand Junction is if you guys want to come over for a little mini getaway, um, to, you know, we're doing JUCO, we're doing um country jam. We've got a concert series going that includes like the Beach Boys and Journey and stuff going on. So you had me a journey. Ooh, I'm ready for a road trip. Did you say dancing, country jam, and journey? I mean, <laughs> what can you ask for? <laughs> I know, right? So we're we're having a lot of fun over here. There's a lot of great stuff to do. It's outdoor stuff. So you know, you can always and you can always cut you can contact me and come to a Thursday night group and then have a long weekend and do something fun in the meantime. So and we'll get my little plug for us over here. I'd love the plug. You plug away. We're going to put some links, whatever you tell us, we can link. We will. We'll put your email if you let us. Um, I just wanted to reiterate or emphasize that there is this lull right now, or there's this false sense of, uh, yay, things are going back to normal. And this is one of those decisive points when, when you study military strategy, there is this little lull and you have to decide, are you going to stop it? it's just a little break in momentum because what you see happening in Oregon is the businesses are telling people only the vaccinated can give up the restrictions, right? So this is just kind of a reconsolidation period where you have to decide, 
enough is enough. We needed to stop. We need this, no vaccine passports, no businesses, you know, demanding that whether my choice is to vaccinate or un not vaccinate, it's none of their business. It shouldn't affect how I conduct myself in society. I mean, it really is like the line in the sand. Decide now if you're going to push back and stop it before they regroup and second wave of tyranny. So with that, I mean, I'm gonna just thank you on behalf of Colorado for sharing what you're doing. And I hope it inspires so many other people to join in what you're doing and start local groups. Yes, thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, that was a great interview, Pam. That was awesome. Um, I love these freedom fighters here in Colorado. Yeah, I'm super excited about Colorado Stands Up and um, I hope everybody's gonna look into that. We, um, Pam and because I- Because what else do you have to do on a Thursday night, right? Right, I mean, there might be a board of health meeting, but you know. You can, you can shake it up. One, a that's bit. only once a month. Right, um, the other three Thursdays to Colorado Stands Up. Right? Pam and I share a lot of creepy news with each other. And um, we decided that we would wrap up our podcast with a creepy news of the week segment. And um, this, there's so much creepy news really, that it's hard to pick, but- You have to be this, selective with your creepy news. You, you do have to be selective. And, and there, I mean, there's, we could do, we could do two hours of creepy news, but this week- This week we won't do a creepy news gonna, marathon. This will just be like a, a, a short, segment on creepy news. Creepy news, short creepy news. This week's creepy news is we're gonna talk about these universities sort of simultaneously um, mandating the shot. And Pam sent me over an article earlier this week that um, said uh, from a publication called Patch, I don't know if they're online or what, but CU Boulder to receive 51 million in coronavirus aid. And, Wrap your head uh, around that. Just the just the number, fifty-one million dollars for a university with right. healthy college kids. Right. Fifty-one. What are we just printing money now? But go ahead, continue. All right. So this is called American Rescue Plans. This is this is American Rescue Plan money, and Pam sent this article over, and we kind of looked through it, and in the last part of the article, it said that this. Uh, money can be used for retention and re-engagement of students by giving academic or mental health support. The guidance says institutions can discharge, discharge student debt accrued during the pandemic to help students. That makes and sense, you know, pandemic pay off people's student debt. I mean, right? totally, that's what I think of when I think. Right? And then part of it has to be used for, to prevent and mitigate, mitigate the spread of COVID-19, including efforts to vaccinate students and campus communities. So, so wait a minute, wait a minute. Heather, do you think that these universities receive these millions of dollars to coerce a vaccine on their students? I don't know, Pam. I don't know. But want to know something interesting that I found after that article? What? There's more? There's more. Uh, this money is based on the amount of Pell Grants each college has. Ooh. You know what so, Pell Grants are, right? What's that? You know what Pell Grants are, right? Well, Pell Grants are grants that do not have to be paid back that are given to the most vulnerable in need students. So financially vulnerable students. And so as we know, it's a big deal right now to, to make sure all the vulnerable people get all the things they need like vaccinations for COVID, right? And so I looked up um, 
universitybusiness.com had a couple articles um, about, about this, this money that schools are getting. Um, they talked about supporting the vulnerable students and suppressing COVID will be the priorities for college leaders distribu distributing $36 billion. Did you say billion with the B? Billion? Billion, $36 billion in newly released American Rescue Plan funds. And they say that um, three ways to use the funds, supporting the students with exceptional needs, retention and re-engagement of students, and prevention and mitigation of the spread of COVID-19. And so this money went out. We saw some simultaneous you know, mandating of this vaccine across universities. And I just wanted, so I, I looked at this, I looked at- um, But wait, it wasn't, it wasn't just all universities who received this, these millions of dollars. There was a trend. There was a trend. There was a trend. It was universities in blue states, in democratic controlled legislatures and governors. And you didn't see maybe maybe just a handful in red states. So there was a trend there. There it's was a trend. Absolutely. Political. Some people took the money and and did one thing with it in red states. And then in blue states, they took the money and decided to mandate the vaccine. Right. Am I so right? Saw, yeah. And we saw all of this sort of roll out in the last couple of weeks, right? And um, I found awesome. a link um, in this universitybusiness.com um, article called Find Your College's Share of American Rescue Plan Funds. Ooh, people and, want to know that. Who got bought yes. out? Tell us, how do we get to this website so and find out look, how much? If you look at universitybusiness.com and you search Find Your College's Share of American Rescue Plan Funds, there's a link right there and it links you to a 107-page spreadsheet document, like an Excel spreadsheet of all the money so you can look up all the schools who've received this money so ucla i think they got 108 million dollars whoa um, for so, uh in colorado i'm just going to name off a few uh, of what what we got what we've got here csu got 50 million dollars okay, okay uh metro um metro got 45 million dollars CU, as we know from the, um, the our first article that we were alerted to this um, this money, um, CU gets fifty one million dollars. Um, UNC gets twenty two million dollars. Little places like Yuba College, oh that's in California, sorry, Adams State University, I've never heard of that one, five million dollars. Um, Colorado College. $2 million. So that's really interesting, I think, because Colorado College is a very expensive college, right? They only have, well, they're close to $3 million, but that means they don't have a lot of Pell Grants there, Pell Grant students. So, so I mean, let's, let's just form a hypothesis here. We don't know, but what, what is your hypothesis of why we are giving this money to, in proportion to Pell Grants, which is people who are the more financially at need. I mean, what, what, what do you, what do you think? What's just, well, I don't know. I mean, there's lots of different hypotheses that we could take. Let's take a benevolent one that those kids are more adversely affected by the economics. Maybe their parents' businesses all shut down this year, right? Because maybe they're not 
working as a university professor who is uh, has been having a job the entire year and hasn't hasn't had to close down. Maybe they're more likely to have parents who are already in low income jobs that they didn't they lost their jobs. So these kids don't even have they have even less money to spend for college. So like that would be the benevolent part of this of this money, right? To help those students who have whose families have been adversely affected. So I'm the good cop. Why don't you be the bad cop, Pam? Well, I don't know. When you start targeting, um, well, because the context of all this is a virus, right? So when I see the vaccine was prioritized for the elderly in group priority 1A and the disabled in priority 1B, I say, wow, I don't really think just because you have a disability means you're more at risk for a virus. But, you know, it seems like nefarious. It seems like maybe we're targeting what someone in a, on a government level would see as expendable or liability on the, the state and uh, resources. So then, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm cynical. So when I, I see these financial incentives going out to Pell Grant um, universities in proportion to their financially at-risk students, I tend to think the same way that there's, you know, we're, we're not targeting people based on really if they have need or a, a higher risk for a virus, maybe we're targeting people who um, are we deem at a government level as expendable. I mean, that's shady, Pam. That's really shady. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my shot right there. That's some shady shot, and it's serious shot. And it, we should th be thinking, you know, I don't know, maybe by twenty twenty one that. Our government does not always have the best of intentions when it throws money. I mean, the lottery, we, the lotteries, those in and of itself. So who tends to buy lottery tickets? Is it the educated and affluent? No, not really. It's people who are a little more desperate and are willing to take a little bit more risk. And ultimately, I'm just concerned that these mandates will coerce people into taking the vaccine that maybe they didn't want to take, but it was tied to, it was to a mandate or financial aid. And I, I think that is um, unethical. Can I go a little All right, darker? well, time will tell. Thank Can you, Pam. A little darker than expendable? Yes. I think when the government starts targeting people that cost the government money, they're not only getting rid of people who are expendable, but they're getting rid of people who cost them money. And another word for that is genocide. They're getting rid of groups of people, elderly, disabled, people of color, that costs them more money. Wow, the producer chimes in with some real darkness. She like, just dropped like right a- Right at the end, producer dark. comes in dark. <laughs> dark, 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 pitch black. Oh, right. maybe dark enough for the producer. She said, take it to genocide. And I, you know, <laughs> the, name, the name of this program is, shit, is uh, Serious Shit. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> that was straight from the producer. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been another great week. Uh, it's great to see you, Pam. Per silent producer, dark at the end. Good, good, to, good to have you with us as well. We look forward to seeing, talking to everybody again next week. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. <laughs>